0: and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. I am so excited about this week's guest because I actually listened to her podcast when I was working towards my recovery from hypothalamic amenorrhea. So, This week's guest is Amy Giannotti. She is amazing. She's a registered dietitian who specializes in hypothalamic amenorrhea and fertility. So I'm really excited to have her on the podcast this week. She was someone that I would listen to her recovery story while I was going through recovery. So it was a pretty cool experience having her on the show this week. And what's even cooler is not no, not only did Amy get her period back but she is also currently pregnant right now. So it's a really exciting time of Amy's life and I just wish her so many congrats. So if any of you are currently struggling with hypothalamic amenorrhea, I know I've talked a lot about my journey, but I do think it's like a BFF pep talk almost when you hear, other people sharing their experiences and of course Amy has different things to share than other guests we all have different journeys and experiences and I wanted to make sure I got Amy on the show and one thing that I really do love and appreciate about Amy's story is the fact that she had to do a lot of forgiving um, of past beliefs that she was holding on to And we all know that this is one of my favorite things to talk about. This is what I work on with my clients. I'm a huge, firm, strong believer in self-forgiveness. It was actually the missing piece of my recovery journey. So... Really excited for you to tune into this week's episode. Thanks again for being here. And if you love the show and you're listening, either take a screenshot of the show and share it on social media. Or just take a picture of your surroundings. Maybe you're on a nice walk. I know a lot of us are experiencing really nice weather. It's transitioning to spring. Happy March, by the way. I never said happy March. And if you're listening to this live, it's March 4th. So we're transitioning to nicer weather and I'm actually headed to Arizona this weekend and I will be there for just over a week. So I'm really excited to be getting some Arizona sun, soak up some vitamin D because we all know I'm in the middle of Canada here and feeling very deprived of outside time (laughs) so really looking forward to my trip to Arizona but like I said if you are listening to the show and loving it don't forget to take a screenshot or post a picture to Instagram and tag me at I am Meg Doll. I love chatting with you over on Instagram, and if you want to chat even more with me and become part of our podcast community, just hop over on Facebook. You can find us on Facebook, the Unbreakable You Podcast Crew, over on Facebook. And I really love the community we have forming there. We have over a 100 members already and we keep growing every day. So thank you to everyone who has joined our group over on Facebook. I just love our little community. So more chats to happen over there. But let's cut over to today's episode with Amy. Hey, Amy, welcome to the show. I'm so excited and honored really to have you on the show with me today.
1: It is a pleasure coming to speak to you. Thank you
0: so much for having me. Yeah, well, you don't know this about me, but when I first started, well, I guess not like when I first started, but throughout the year that I was working towards getting my period back, like I had started to work towards getting my period back in August of 2018. And then I got it back in August of 2019. And throughout that period is when I actually found you and your work and your podcast. So I started listening to your podcast and um, your first couple episodes are really, really hypothalamic amenorrhea specific, sharing your story and things like that. So it was super cool to listen to your story and get to know you through your podcast and now here we are. We're both um, women with our periods and we're like sitting down on my podcast so I'm super excited to have you on. Thank you so much for joining me and that was a long intro on my part so why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and let them know a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Well, in the past, I think I would start off by listing all of my qualifications because I, you know, believe that that's who I was, um, you know, a dietitian, personal trainer, strength and conditioning coach, running coach, yoga teacher, and all of that. And that kind of gave me this sense of um, identity and, and it made me feel good that I had all these qualifications. But now I probably try to avoid introducing myself just with my qualifications because that's not truly who I am. Um, so my name is Amy Gianotti. I am a dietitian. <laughs> that's a big part of what I do. I'm not a dietitian who prescribes meal plans. I would say the way I work with my clients is helping them to heal their relationship with food. I believe your relationship with food is so much more important than any diet you will ever follow. Um, and, my journey to heal my period after seven years gone missing has definitely changed the way I go about my whole life. Um, the way I practice as a dietitian, it totally transformed my business and it's made me a much more, as corny as it sounds, a much more like spiritual person. Like, you know, if you met me five years ago, I was Amy the runner or Amy the triathlete, um, you know, that really determined hardworking girl, but, Um, now I would say I'm very different.
0: (laughs) That's awesome and different in such a great way and we'll get into that for sure and I would really love to elaborate a little bit more on that spiritual aspect so let's make sure we talk about that later but before we get into those topics and me start hitting you with all those questions, why don't we kind of like go back because I know my ladies who listen to this show are really interested and they love hearing the journeys of my guests and kind of like how their life was before and what that actually looked like just so they know where you're coming from. And as you mentioned, you had amenorrhea for seven years. So take us back.
1: It's hard to know where to start. Um, But as a young child, I grew up in the country. So I rode my pony to school. We had go karts that my dad made. Um, On the weekends, I would spend at my grandpa's farm or trying to collect bugs and things like that. (laughs) So um, I'm a pretty happy kid. Um, Really, really close with my dad um, throughout my whole childhood. Um, My mum and I's relationship was a little bit different. And uh, in grade six, mum and dad broke up. And that was a bit of a surprise that, um, you know, coming home from a holiday and mum decided that um, she would pack up. So that was significant for me. And, Then um, as, you know, mum and dad broke up and doing the dads every second weekend and Wednesday kind of thing, um, that was challenging because I was just going into high school then. It was a big, you know, uh, change. And I never really felt that my mum kind of gave me any attention. So, you know, she had a new boyfriend and all those kind of things. And I really struggled just – not getting attention, I think, and I really, um, you know, didn't get along with mum so well. I think that was fueled with the female hormones going through puberty, and just wanting to rebel. But then in year nine, when I come home from school one day with my sister, we came home to see that mum had packed up and she was leaving to go to South Australia with her boyfriend, and um, she was planning on just taking my younger brother and. Um, my sister and I were staying there and obviously just going to move in with our dad so that was another big milestone for me in my life and really had a big impact and at the time I thought that it wasn't so bad and you know felt more sorry for my younger brother thinking that it was harder for him because he was torn between both of us and because I was more older I was more mature and able to understand things but um, I realized many years after that that belief um, that I'm not special enough really started to drive unhealthy behaviours and that came from, yeah, just trying to prove that I was special. So it had some good some good things in that I worked really hard at school and um, in sport and things like that, but um, it kind of went off the edge of healthy and um, I do definitely and recognize a time where I was you're really ignoring my body, trying to strive for this really lean physique and pushing myself really hard in exercise. And that became kind of like very addictive. You know, I never felt like I had control. So controlling my body and controlling food was a way I got a sense of control. Um, when mum left and the way mum kind of ignored me, I didn't feel like I had control and um, food and body kind of gave me that. And then um, I... I became a – went to university, so I moved to Melbourne, started to the city, um, yeah, studied to be a dietitian, which took five and a half years. And during that time, I studied on the summer holidays to become a personal trainer. Um, so at the age of like 20 or something, I was already running my own business, which was awesome. I absolutely loved it. And I think, you know, because I – I was in the area and I was very determined and I loved eating healthy. Um, so a lot of it come from a good a good place of trying to be healthy, trying to be fit. It was, you know, trying to perform well in exercise-related things, running and so on. And I was really good at it. So I was getting um, praised and um, because my body was so lean, I was getting a lot of, uh, I suppose, attention from that and a lot of opportunities for the, like, advertising, modelling kind of things um, for fitness and sporting brands. So I never really felt like I was doing the wrong thing or doing something so bad um, in that I didn't have a period for a long time, but part of me just thought that was because, you know, I was fit and fit people don't get periods and, you know, didn't see that as much of a a problem and even doctors and specialists would – kind of not be too concerned. They just kind of said, when you want to have children, just slow down the exercise. You might have to put some weight on and you, you'll get your period back. Um, but there was this part of me that knew that something wasn't right, but I think I just didn't want to address that. I was doing so well in other areas of life that I just kept putting that to the back burner and just ignored it. And, um, And then I got into triathlon and I exceeded really well in triathlon. I made the Australia team for sprint distance, Olympic distance, duathlon and half Ironman. (laughs) I was going like crazy and that just like so obsessed with my training. But I was going well, but it was getting a little bit um, unhealthy in that I was putting it first before everything else, before my work, before my relationships, before family and friends and those kind of things. And needing to fit in my training became very... Um, stressful and then the the one big milestone for me was during my triathlon training when I had made the Australia team and I was um, training for the world champs in Chicago is I had a dream um, and in the dream I got a call from my dad who I've always been really close with um, from Ballarat and he said I'm coming to see you and your baby I can't remember if it was a boy or girl and um, but I remember just feeling this shock like, oh, I've forgotten about my baby and I've been so busy training, doing all this, you know, running, cycling, swimming and and whatnot, and I forgot that I had a baby at home. So I remember trying to get home and I was feeling so exhausted like I was like had concrete legs or something just trying to get home and um, I must have just been feeling so fatigued. And then I got home and I remember thinking like Lucas will be on his way as well, my husband, and then I saw my baby in – its little um, bassinet and I looked down and I just saw how emaciated he or she looked and I just had this immense guilt. I just felt so bad Um, and I remember thinking, you know, Lucas is going to kill me. Not that he's going to kill me but just that, like, what have I done? I've been so selfish. I've been out training and I've got this baby at home and then I picked it up and I tried to feed him or her and I had nothing to give. I had no nutrition, no life or energy to give and it was like, the baby's life was just, you know, disappearing in front of my eyes and then that's when I just had this horrible feeling and then I cried and the crying woke me up and from that moment, i never seen triathlon in my training the same. I woke up saying out loud, what the hell am I doing? So after then, um, I actually ended up cancelling my... Uh, my spot in the Australia team and I already had my tickets and accommodation booked for Chicago and just like, it took a, like a little while, but, um, I just, the, my obsession with training was not the same. It was instead of needing to do hundred K's on the bike, because that's what my coach prescribed. I was kind of like, Oh, 95 will do. <laughs> but before I was like, I had to do a hundred and a bit more, <laughs> you know? And then I was, yeah. So it took a little while to come to the decision that, no, I just don't want to do this anymore. And um, I spoke to my best friend about it and um, also my dad. And my dad was actually really helpful in that transition. Um, I told him before I actually told my husband about it because he'd get really excited that I wasn't doing it probably. But I said that I was, you know, wanting to do the triathlon or wanting to, like, wanting to do it but feeling like I should restore my health and those kind of things. And he said to me, you know what, Amy, I'm so proud of you when you, you know, call me up and say you got a medal or you got a PB or whatever, but at the end of the day, you might just find yourself sitting in your room looking at all your medals by yourself. And I was like, yes. (laughs) And he's, you know, he meant that in a very kind and caring way, but it was another, like, I needed to hear that. (laughs) And like, what, what am I chasing? Like I was, chase, like I was chasing um, triathlon or this way to just really push my body. It was a way to kind of like almost numb out or really show myself I'm special, prove to myself, prove to other people. But every time I finished the race, it never felt as good as I thought it would. That was a long story.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I am filled with shivers right now. And when you were sharing your dream with us, I like welled up with tears. That was (laughs) so emotional for me. And I bet that now like you reflecting back on that, that's pretty spiritual itself and quite a, like an awakening for you. Um, very like pivotal moment, obviously. Um, and also that conversation with your dad. Wow. Um, definitely something you needed to hear for sure. So lots to talk about, but I do want to make sure we, step back a little bit and talk about what you mentioned when your mom left and how you created that belief that you weren't special enough. And then basically everything that you did after that was in pursuit of trying to prove that you were special. And I think that's really important to really highlight here just because when it comes to disordered eating, eating disorders, that sort of thing, a lot of people think it's just about gaining control. And it is to some extent. But I also believe that We have these turning points in our lives and we are all like unique individuals and we form our own set of beliefs in each of those moments. So it's really important to just reiterate the fact that in that moment, you like formed this belief that you weren't special. So is this something that you had to do throughout your healing journey? Like, did you have to go back and kind of discover what you believed? Or is that something that you always knew that you made that decision in that moment?
1: Great question. And it is definitely, um, yeah, not something that I always knew. Um, I feel like, I believe everything happens for a reason. And, um, you know, the good times and the bad times, I think everything serves a purpose. And when I was, you know, that part of me knew that I needed to reduce my exercise, but I was training 25 hours a week. (laughs) You know, I was sponsored by giant, which is a bike brand Garmin and, um, a lot of other kind of fitness related things. So I felt like I had to keep maintaining that fitness Person, even though I was not um, doing triathlon anymore. So actually just going from like 25 hours of training to do triathlon to no longer doing triathlon and actually you don't really have to train. That was not an easy step. It wasn't like, oh, okay, don't have to train tomorrow. It was like, it was really hard to pull back. Like normally, normally on a, and this isn't me showing off, this is just me explaining how it was. So on a Sunday, for example, it would be at least a 20 something K run. And, you know, when I decided that I didn't need to do that much, obviously because I wasn't didn't have um, an event coming up, it was hard for me not to do 20. So I tried to, you know, just do 15 and then I was, you know, I thought my ideal enough for me should really be only something like 10. Um, but even when I stopped at like 16 or 15 or I saw the um, – the times not being as fast as they usually were, like there was a lot of that negative chatter. It was really, really hard. And then from that kind of knowledge of knowing that letting go of training is really hard, um, which wasn't helped because I was involved in other kind of paid opportunities where I was filmed for doing exercise in all of these, um, I guess, part of this gym franchise, which I'm involved in, which is which is great, but um, because my – body was getting filmed and I was the, fitness, the face of the fitness that was, you know, eating that ego. It was so, it was even harder to like, let go. Cause I was like, oh, what if people see me and they don't, I don't look fit anymore and all that kind of stuff. So it was really hard um, at the time. So I decided to, so I was doing yoga um, as well. And I knew that going to yoga, it kind of felt like this coming home. Um, I hated um, Shavasana because it made me feel guilty and really struggled to to lay down in that moment. But even though that was really difficult and often I would actually just leave the class, there was something that kept bringing me back to yoga because I knew that it had something for me. So, you know, of course, when I first started going, I was just trying to do the handstands and the splits and the wheel and all this really like intense stuff. And, you know, hoping someone's kind of watching me or something, or, you know, trying to do the best one in the class, just, you know, my personality. (laughs) But um, then I realized it wasn't about that, that I was enjoying. It was something else that was I could tell was good for me. So anyway, that set me up with the journey to decide to do my yoga teacher training. And I did not know what I was going to get out of that. I thought it was just going to be another qualification, but I kind of knew that there was something in yoga that I wanted to learn. And I was really interested in the yoga philosophy and just understanding it a little bit more. And to be honest with you, my main intention to doing yoga and studying yoga and doing a teacher training was to help me, or was the hope that I will like yoga so much that I won't feel like I have to run as much. <laughs> That's just being honest. I was like, that might help me to not feel like I have to run because I know that running every day and doing all this intense exercise isn't helping me, but I find it so hard not to like, I feel so like anxious and guilty. And I, yeah, so I thought maybe if I find something else that I really love, then it won't be so hard. Um, that didn't happen exactly like that. Um, it wasn't, until a while after that I was actually able to really let go of the exercise. But there was one significant point, and this is, you know, the where I was trying to get to is during my teacher training, we went to Bali for this um, immersion part of the yoga teacher training. And on the first day um, we had a, I think it was like a two hour or two to three hour yoga practice, which is pretty intense, but it wasn't so intense physically because I was quite fit, but it was just, like almost mentally a lot. And in that Shavasana on that first day, I bawled my eyes out. Like I couldn't believe I was crying because I was kind of making fun of people who, you know, people were saying, oh my God, you're going to go on this yoga teacher training course and everyone's going to cry. I was like, yeah, what you, don't think so. That's not going to happen to me. And then on the first day, that was me like tearing up. But what got me in that moment was this like message, or it was—I can't even remember exactly what the yoga teacher was, was saying, but it come up to it come up to me just in that moment that um, I'm not special enough, and that it all just kind of unfolded, and I was like, wow. <laughs> and then the actual crying was like a release. It wasn't like it wasn't—it was like something I'd been holding on for so long, just letting go. Um, and then we did another really powerful exercise a few days after that. Um, it was a guided like meditation where we end up writing a letter to our younger self pretty much. And, um, the letter that I wrote to my younger self was you are special and it was just a yeah, long story again, but hopefully that illustrates the point that you were asking.
0: Yeah. Hey, we love long stories around here, so <laughs> don't apologize whatsoever. We want, all the details. So thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, crying is a form of release, right? Like we don't have to be sad or angry or like hurt to cry. It can definitely, like you realize something in that moment and you have to, release it. And the reason why I asked that question is that something that really helped me through my HA recovery journey is going back into my past and really identifying these beliefs that I had been holding onto that I didn't really even realize. So I just wanted to kind of get your version on that. So we never actually talked about HA recovery. You kind of shared your journey up until you realized like, hey, I need to stop training so intensely. But did that realization that like, hey, maybe I should actually get my period back come at that time too? Or was it? a little bit later?
1: Um, A little bit later. So I think I finished the triathlon chapter (laughs) um, and then I think it was two to three years later. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I know. But I was gradually letting go, but it was, I was getting fed by these other opportunities, like fitness related things and like paid great opportunities. That was, I kept saying yes to, and then but I felt guilty of doing it. Like I felt torn the whole time. Like I never felt good doing these things. But anyway. So 2018, like so last year, um, my husband and I went on a beautiful holiday. We went to the Greek Islands and wow, we um really went all out on that um holiday. It was beautiful. And Yes, I was a little bit more relaxed, but, yeah, I was still like watching the oil on foods and having to exercise every day so I could eat all of the food, you know, that kind of thing. I don't – maybe had like well, – maybe I had a day off over the three weeks I was there. I'm not sure. But it was like, you know, I needed to get that running. But then when I um, got home, I kind of felt like, well, now what? <laughs> and it was a bit of a, you know, like post-holiday blues or um, it was just a – and I think maybe because we've been around people and people asking if you have kids and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, eh. and then we'd already had the conversation before about, um, well, I don't have a period anyway, and it's probably going to be so hard to come back, even if I do try. So I'll probably just do like ovulation induction or IVF or whatever. So my husband and I had actually, actually already talked about that and saw, an, uh, saw a professional and you know kind of been... Um, worked up on all of that so we had tests he had tests and that was looking like our kind of option of what we could do and I think after that big holiday it was kind of like oh well now we meant to have the, the baby now <laughs> because you know it was kind of like well I don't know that time of life and then I felt like I just I wanted to have a baby I wanted to be on one day like I didn't want to miss out on that but I didn't feel right going ahead with ovulation induction or IVF because I knew that there was a part of me that could get my period back. And if I went went ahead with that and I thought, you know, maybe if something happened in that pregnancy, I would feel so guilty. That part scared me. But the other part that scared me even more was having the baby and then, I don't know, just knowing that I wasn't role modeling to him or her that, you know, give something a hundred percent, like don't just, um, you know, like get scared and run away and whatever that kind of, um, that phrase is, but you know where I'm getting at there. So I thought I owed it to myself and owed it to my future children to give it a hundred percent. So I knew that I hadn't give, given it a hundred percent. I've, you know, cut back my exercise a little bit, but I was still exercising most days and yeah, I was eating a little bit more, but I was still pretty restrictive. So I thought I wanted to give it what I thought was a hundred percent. Later on, I heard through, um, you know, the no period now what they called it all in. But for me, I was like, I've been giving it like Ninety-five percent, maybe, which wasn't really ninety-five percent, but um, I wanted to give it a hundred percent. And I thought, even if I don't get my period back, at least I'll have that peace of mind that I know that I gave it my gave it my all.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that was July when I got back from the trip, and I made that decision right then. And I actually filmed a video of me just with a bit of an accountability. And then I. Um, another thing is I had this filming opportunity that was booked in ages before for um, a gym which was a great opportunity but again it was me like doing exercises for two weeks and getting filmed and um, the videos are used on all of the gym franchises across the world (laughs) so I couldn't actually pull out and whatever at, at that stage and I still wanted to do it and at that time I felt like I still needed to exercise so I could do it because I was like oh my god I can't be like putting on weight there or I won't be able to do the exercises which is actually untrue I would have been fine but so July I decided to start taking actions and I actually called it like stage one stage two stage three I don't know that's just how it worked for me um So my stage one was cutting back my exercise and eating more and then stage two was after i've done the filming which was actually letting go of the exercise which was super hard um or not letting go fully i went back to only two strength sessions a week and i thought that was like nothing and um i did some challenges throughout that which i just kind of made up myself which was like a diet challenge where um, for seven days i tried one new food that challenged a food rule like a food rule of a um, type of food, the environment that a food was eaten or even the time of food. So it was like having a banana cake for morning tea or, um, you know, things that were just like things I would never do. (laughs) And then I did also an exercise detox, which my husband got involved with as well. Um, where my challenge was to try one new activity every day, um, and no exercise as well. So I had to do one new hobby or activity each day, for 14 days was a plan um, to help me kind of like increase my fun box or hobbies box because the only thing that I knew that made me happy was exercise. So that's why it was so hard. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna set myself a challenge and build up my toolbox or whatever. And I did things like singing lessons and did some drawing. And um, then one day my husband actually surprised me for a helicopter trip and we went on a winery uh, winery trip. So that was amazing. Um, but I think that was like day five also and then the next day um, maybe because I had a few drinks and because I hadn't been having my vegetables <laughs> um, no I think it was more because I just started to relax and I ended up getting sick so I had the, the flu so influenza A so which is a pretty bad flu and I was knocked out for it was close to a month to be honest so that actually helped you know and as I said in the beginning I believe everything happens for a reason and um, so that helped me to let go of the exercise um but then as soon as i was getting better again i still was trying to do those two gym sessions and then i decided i like, asked myself um this was about october november and i was like what else do i have to give up like what else do i have to learn because i felt like i'd already learned and healed so much i'd put on all this weight Um, you know, I thought like, it's not like I'm too skinny or I haven't got enough body fat. It's not like I'm not eating enough. I'm like, what else do I need to learn? And I think I needed to learn that I don't need to exercise. Like exercise is a fun thing or part of what you can do, but it's not who I am. So actually letting go of the exercise. Um, and I thought, well, I don't know how long it's going to be for, but I think that's how I really need to give it a hundred percent. So I stopped all exercise you know, because I think I still had to go to the gym to maintain my toned muscles or something like that. <laughs> Once I let go of that, um, I actually got my period in three weeks, or two to three weeks. So I must have ovulated and like days after when I just let go, like that let go, like, okay, surrendering, I don't need to exercise. And that was the hardest thing for me to let go of the exercise. And then when it come back, it was,
0: Yeah. That was the happiest moment of my life. Oh yeah. I honestly, I mean, a lot of amazing things have happened obviously in your life and in my life, but getting our periods back, I'm sure you and I can agree that that was like the best day, you know, like probably you're married, your wedding was probably an amazing day. I like meeting my boyfriend. I remember that day. It was an awesome day. But like getting my period back, not sure too many things can beat that ever.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, because it's just so much that you've achieved. And I know that like actually seeing blood is not really the ending because you're getting all of the, recovery as you go. Like pretty much, you know, that first time you ovulate is like, should be something to really celebrate, but you know, obviously a lot of people don't know that they've ovulated and then they get their period maybe 10, 14 days later. Um, But yeah, that was, and there was a bit of a, I'm gonna be honest, um, I don't think you had this, uh, what we call it, challenge. (laughs) Um, But I did get that period back for, it was only like a few days of spotting, like two days of light, light bleeding which I was like, where did it go? <laughs> um, but I was like, it's still blood. It was the first time I'd seen blood in like seven years. I'm gonna be happy with myself. And then um, 31 days later, I had a proper big one. And actually then to be honest with you, I I think it was because it was summertime and my, it was, I don't know, um, we're on holidays and my husband was going to the gym and we had less less free time. And I was like, well, I can, Go to the gym as well or i don't need to keep eating all these like extra ice cream every day you know because i've recovered so i had this like um yeah and maybe because i was at the beach in my bikinis and there was a little bit of like oh i'm looking a little bit different so it's a bit of that that only just started to creep in anyway i started to reduce the food i was eating so i still like having all my main meals and snacks and so on but i was being a little bit uh restrictive let's say with the oil and I wasn't having like ice creams and heaps of breads and all those kind of things as much as I would when I was trying to recover um and I bumped up my exercise as well I think I went up to four sessions a week so I was doing three strength sessions and then one cardio and then it was three or four months later and I still hadn't had a period (laughs) so I learned that you know I learned my lesson definitely. Mm-hmm. And I will say when I went through that kind of three, four months, I had this feeling like, oh, that feeling I had when I was was recovering, going through my recovery journey. And when I had recovered, was like magical. It was like, I felt so happy. I've never been so happy in my life. And now I kind of feel like I'm back to where I was, like a bit like my old self. Um, and I was like, oh, maybe it was just like a honeymoon stage and it's not always going to be that great. So I was a bit disappointed. But then when I made the changes again that I needed to, and it was probably just like a little relapse or I don't know what you'd want to call it, but it definitely wasn't a full relapse, but it was just a bit of a, a reminder. Yeah. Great, yeah. Great. grateful for that. And um, yeah, I just cut back my exercise again, started eating more, and then I actually ovulated and I fell pregnant. <laughs> so yeah, um, I did actually end up having a miscarriage at almost seven weeks, but Um, that was another one of the most happiest times of my life because I was so proud that my body could become pregnant, to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. And I'm really happy that we kind of touched on like life after HA Recovery too, because I feel like I haven't really talked about that all that much on the show yet, right? With my guests, it's like, tell us your story. I want to hear kind of like how you got your period back. And then I got my period back. So I'm sharing my story of how I got my period back. But it's so important to talk about the realities of life after your period and Mm -hmm. how you really can't Change things so significantly, and I really like talking to women about that as well. Like, when we get our periods back, that's not a like golden ticket or a free pass to start eating less again and start restricting again. So, I like how you said you got that little reminder from your body to kind of like, Hey, Amy, start nourishing your body properly again, and maybe like don't exercise so much. So thank you so much for talking about that. And I'm actually really happy to have you on the show for multiple reasons, of course. But one thing that I know my listeners really struggle with is the actual giving up the exercise piece. And for me, I actually worked on that like years ago like 2013, 2014. So I've been really comfortable with exercise or not exercising. It's just kind of like a, I really love doing it, but I don't need it. So when I was going through HA recovery, it wasn't that Like obsessive thing that I had to deal with. So for those ladies that are listening to us today that are struggling with letting go of that need to constantly be exercising or that exercise obsession, what would you say to them? What were some things that helped you Um, really let go of that. I know you mentioned that challenge. That sounds like an awesome idea for people to get started for sure.
1: Yeah. So I think expanding your fun toolbox or hobby toolbox, because a lot of the time when we've been so dependent or using running all the time, that like it goes as a priority over anything else so you're not doing any other fun stuff because exercise comes first and then you're normally pretty tired afterwards anyway then you're thinking about you know maybe working eating sleeping so a challenge like that could be five days or one week or two weeks of trying to um, find a new activity every day and you know some you might enjoy some you might think that that was really boring I'll never do that again (laughs) but just help you to um, think outside the squares because I think you think the only thing that can make me happy is exercise. So, and then the next thing is the only way I thought I could manage stress was exercise, and that's a big one that I noticed with a lot of my clients as well. That um, you know they this time is really stressful, and you know they're having to maybe eat against their food rules and eat scary food or watching their body um, change and all these kind of things. So their outlet is exercise. And yeah, for me, my only stress coping mechanism was exercise. So then I learned meditation and I actually invested time and money in a meditation mentor. I thought I've already got enough qualifications. I think I just need to find someone who I look up to. And she's, this lady is beautiful. She's like 60 something, a lot of um, wisdom and knowledge. And um, I used to just go to her house once a fortnight for an hour, uh, two hours. And she would just kind of teach me and, um, That plus I did my own study in acceptance commitment therapy, which is kind of mindfulness stuff as well. So that really helped me build another tool and a better tool for me for managing stress. So every day now I do a mindfulness practice. I do it after breakfast and before I check my phone. And because I do that every day, I don't need to exercise. Um, And there's so many benefits of mindfulness, of course, but um, I think developing some other fun things in your life that um don't mean that you have to rely on exercise number two um develop some other coping or stress coping mechanisms It might be journaling or um meditation obviously is fantastic um and i think the third one is really looking at your identity because for a lot of people it's like you know i'm a runner or um i'm the fit girl or i'm the crossfit girl or whoever you are um it's that like that's who i am so it's going to be a journey of self-discovery and it could be just asking yourself questions like, well, if I'm not a runner, who am I? (laughs) Or, um, you know, who am I? Who's, who is that part of me that is always there? Like, you know, there's that part of you that is not changing. Like, you know, when you were a kid, (laughs) you weren't the runner yet. Um, and just trying to really connect with that part of you that is, um, always there and constant, if that makes sense. And it might, yeah, it's, You're going to have to use your own words, but that's who you really are. Mm -hmm. not All these labels or things that you do.
0: Yeah, those are some great starting points for our listeners. Thank you so much, Amy. And honestly, I could keep talking to you nonstop. So I really want you back on the show someday for sure. Um, But as we're wrapping up, um, can we talk a little bit about the spirituality part of things? Like how did that work into your recovery? What did that look like? And how did that actually help you? Obviously, you mentioned the yoga that brought in a lot the meditation anything else that was really helpful for you
1: well I love learning Um, so I studied obviously yoga which was um, very valuable Um, and they got the you know the spiritual side of that or the uh, philosophy side of that I found very interesting and you know that goes back to I can't remember how many BC (laughs) Um, uh, you'll have to test me on the exams again Um, and so that was Sydney beginning, to open me up to like meditation, but then I also did training in acceptance, commitment therapy, and also intuitive eating, um, with Evelyn Triboli. So I think they were all really valuable tools and I only went on that pathway because I had so much interest and I was just so gravitated to like, um, understanding more. <laughs> and I think the biggest tool that I've, got is to know that there is that part of me that is my physical body like my heart my lungs my arms my legs my fingernails my nose all that kind of stuff so that part is my physical body and then there is this part of me that is my mind and that's all your thoughts and feelings sometimes you can think of your thoughts as kind of like a radio channel or um you know just dialogue or sometimes your thoughts are like images but then there's that part of you that is your observing self so that part that is always there so like the observer or the witness so through a mindfulness practice it's kind of just tapping into that part um and when you can tap into that part which obviously takes practice it's a very peaceful um (laughs) um state uh, well, it's hard to explain what, what what it feels like unless you're um, practicing, but um, it helps you to identify that thoughts aren't the truth. Um, and a lot of people kind of go through life thinking that they are their thoughts. Like so imagine kind of like your hands are your thoughts and your feelings. Um, it's kind of like walking around or going through life, covering your face with your hands. Like all you see is those thoughts and those feelings. So just noticing that they're just, thoughts
0: they're not like you know they come and go um yeah yeah that answered a bit of your question oh yeah for sure absolutely and thank you so much for sharing so much of your story and what has helped you throughout your journey and it's so amazing to see where you are now. And I know before you and I hit record for this episode, we were like talking about this amazing sandwich that you just had. I saw it on your Instagram stories and it just looked so good. And I thought that was worth bringing up just because there's so many women that are listening to this show that are probably just would love to eat a sandwich, but those food rules are preventing them from doing so. So I just kind of wanted to give a glimpse to everyone what's possible when they are recovered. Right. And that you really can, even if you're not recovered, like that's how you start. Just start allowing yourself and giving yourself permission to eat these foods that you truly want so thank you so much and um, I have another question for you one that I ask all of my guests and that is what does it mean to you to be unbreakable
1: oh unbreakable Um, just knowing that you're like your soul is just unbreakable so you know that part of you that constant part of you is always going to be there it doesn't matter if you lose a limb lose an eye lose a kidney (laughs) because I know you can have one um but you're unbreakable of that part of you is you know you connect to that part of you that is always there.
0: Hmm. Yeah, very similar to what we were talking about before. I love that. So obviously, all of the ladies listening are going to want to connect with you and learn more from you um, if they don't already. So where can we find you, Amy?
1: Um, on Instagram, which is Amy Lee Giannotti. <laughs> you might have to put that in the notes. I will. Uh, <laughs> to spell. Um, but my website is www.eatingfit.com.au. So, um, come and check out all I am doing and offering there. Um, that will be fantastic. Awesome. And I also have my podcast as well, which, um, is Healthy Life Redefined, which I actually had Meg on as a guest in my last episode, episode 15. So um, you'll have to jump on and listen to that as well.
0: Yeah. And I'm getting such great feedback on that. So thank you again for having me on your podcast. But um, you will be more than welcome to come back here anytime, Amy, and you have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. (laughs)